Are you trying to make me cry? You have to get naked a lot in prison. Um. The whole world is ending and everybody's dying. So first of all, for the people that are new to us, the situation is that you do OnlyFans, I do marketing, and a big part of that is marketing for OnlyFans creators. Obviously, you were my, kind of my first test subject mm-hmm. <laughs> in that. There will, of course, be plenty of people that have many opinions about that in itself. Um, but so let's back up to 2019, because at that time, we had a different business going, and it was going pretty good. Um but I basically had to surrender to prison pretty soon and things kind of just fell apart soon thereafter. So from your point of view, what, uh, how did things kind of go down with you after I went to prison? Um, I pretty much, long story short, I felt like I was in crisis for a minute there. But I was fine. I was fine, but it was hard. It was like, you left. We had this big business. But we had a business partner, and things were kind of just complicated in that section of things. And it was like right before the holidays. So I was still just emotionally fucked from you leaving and trying to go see you and like having just so such limited communication and stuff. That's really hard. Um, I just feeling like alone in the world all of a sudden when you're used to like having someone all the time. Are you trying to make me cry? (laughs) Well, we've been together basically since 2000, what? Nine, 10, nine. So at this time, we've been together 10 years. That was our 10-year anniversary uh, two weeks after you left. Yeah, so so the plan was we were, we were going to start this business, and I started it with a friend of mine. and That business, though, not this business. The previous business, before I went to prison, we started that with a friend of mine. And the goal was he was basically, I was going to teach him how to do everything and he was going to run that business while I was in prison. And then, you know, that's what the plan. Then I was after prison, I would come back and we would kind of just pick things up from there. Um, Instead, COVID happened. A lot of things happened. The business fell apart. And then I was gone. You kind of had this giant mess to deal with. And then you ultimately had to start driving Instacart to survive, which luckily at that time, Instacart was going pretty good. So tell us about that. Well, when I started Instacart, uh, it was right before the pandemic started, actually, because my younger sister had been doing it and I was intrigued. I was because we had that business, but there were complications and we knew it was going to end basically. So, um, I had started looking at that because I knew I was going to have to eventually figure out how to make money on my own, which was also new because we've always worked together from home. And so I 
was still working that business, but kind of starting to dissolve things. And I signed up with Instacart. I got the card and then I was just like kind of toying with it out of curiosity in January of 2020. And then that is the same month that the pandemic started, like at the end of that month. So it was perfect timing, actually, that I had already kind of dipped my toes in the water. And then I started looking for work in February, like a normal desk job, um, just doing like admin or whatever. It was not something well, I was I looking forward to. I remember doing when I would call you from prison and you were telling me you were searching for jobs and stuff. And then you ended up getting that one job, which was like, what was it like, like logistics or something? Or what was that? No, I was doing billing for a, a trucking company, oh, like right. a freight company. So I got that job, but I was still doing Instacart a little on the weekends because that job paid trash and I couldn't feed me and Joey with that. So I was just doing Instacart little bits here and there, but as that was kind of unfolding, so was the pandemic. And so then it turned out to where I was like sitting at my desk for shit pay, like 15 bucks an hour. But I would see the notifications coming in about Instacart and be like, these badges are available, all these badges. And I was just like, yeah, what I am I doing here? I, I remember having that conversation and you were like, what should I... Because you were trying to decide if you should quit that job. And I was like, you should just go all in on Instacart because like, it's only going to get better during the pandemic. Nobody's leaving their house. Everybody's hiring shoppers and stuff like that. And so uh, eventually, that's what you did. You went all in on Instacart and you made like pretty decent money, right? Like how much? Yeah, I made, um, I would say between like eight and 1200 bucks a week there for a minute. Which... For like normal standards is like pretty good. Oh, heck yeah. And considering I was only working like five or six hours a day. Yeah. And you can kind of like choose when you want to work, which is nice. Yeah. So I went back to like having my time freedom back um, as opposed to like sitting at a desk job and like, you know, office politics and shit. And my son wasn't going to school because of... COVID too. So, um, I was able to be more present for him during that time too, which he was in high school at the time. So I don't, just so no one thinks that I'm like leaving a baby at home or something. He was in high school. So, um, he was doing school from home and then I was working and then we would be able to hang out, you know, before and after. I remember waking up one day and checking my email in prison and you were like, hey, have you heard about this OnlyFans thing? Um, and I had. I've known about OnlyFans for a while, but I never really looked into it because in my mind, OnlyFans was just was just like a Patreon alternative. I knew it was just like, you know, a subscription type way to monetize, but I didn't know it was like a adult content. Like, I didn't know the whole thing about OnlyFans. And then obviously it wasn't popular. When I first learned about OnlyFans, it wasn't even a thing at that time. Um, but then you, at some point, learned about it while I was away, and then uh, you sent me an email about that. So, so, um, so when that 
really became like an actual thought in my head. I want to say it was closer to the end of your sentence. It was more like early 2021. So rewind back a little bit more. I'm doing Instacart. Pandemic is hot. Instacart's hot. That's what I'm doing, though. Running batches all day. And I'm saving money because I'm going to have a surgery soon. I was going to have my breast augmentation and tummy tuck at that time. And that was in uh, September of 2020. So then I had that done and, um, you know, spent a couple months healing from that and then went back into doing Instacart after. And the pandemic was still going on, obviously, but people were kind of desensitized to it. There was less like fear and all that. So people were like shopping on their own. So it wasn't as hot, but I was still making money that way, supporting our family and sending you money in prison. So like, that's how much money I made enough money to support our whole family. I, yeah, I heard what I heard about OnlyFans and was just like, oh, people make money doing that. Anybody can do it. I don't know. Did you ever have a thought that, like, I would be, like, not okay with it? Like, oh, he would be way too jealous for me to no. do this? No. <laughs> you? Why? Why? <laughs> because you're just not jealous. Because I think that's, a, like, a big thing with a lot of women that want to do it, but, like, their boyfriend or husband might be too jealous or against it or now there's like all the red pill stuff coming out where they totally like demonize it and stuff like that or like you know if you have a wife or a girlfriend that does only fans you're just a loser simp and just like stuff like that so did you well obviously the whole all that kind of culture that's popular now wasn't really a thing then but did you have any sort of like doubts about that side of things like oh this could be a bad thing or something like that no not really just because we kind of live in our own little world and it doesn't really matter what other people think you know well and I think there's just <laughs> an extreme amount of trust between us like we've always well, yeah. kind of in terms uh, of our relationship like, I've always tried to support you, whatever kind of business thing that you're doing. Obviously, I went to prison, and you held me down that whole time, like, sent me money. I never had one thought that you were going to leave or anything like that, which... When someone is sentenced to a very long term of prison time, that's, a fu that's fucking hard on the, the party at home, too. Yeah. So, I mean... Which I think cause that is a thing. Like, a lot of the guys in there who were there for, you know, five-plus years, like, I think five. if you're doing five or more in there, like, most of the guys were like, yeah, I told her, like, you know, go live your life, don't wait for me, which is, like, I agree. Right, like, if I was doing more than five years, I would be the same way. Like, don't wait, like, don't waste your life sitting around for me type of thing. Like, go well, live your life. Well, also, think about it if... You know, you were sentenced to two years. Say we were like 22 or something at the time. That would have been a different situation for me too, I think. Like I would have had to really sit and think about it because you and I had been together already for 10 years at that point. So of course there was no question in my mind, but like 
if someone's in only in a relationship for like six months, then asking someone to wait two years if your relationship isn't like super, super strong, like that's not one person's fault or the other. It's just like asking a 22 or 25 year old to like put their life on hold for two years when you're not sure if you're going to be together afterwards. You know, you don't have that absolute surety anyways. Well, yeah, I think it, it's it, like that depends on the strength of the relationship going in. Yeah, that I mean, that's true regardless. Like a person who's 20 years old, if they're doing what they need to do to like improve themselves, they're going to be a completely different person by the time they're 35. So if yeah. you're if you meet someone, you're 20, they're 20, 10, 15 years later, both of you are completely different people, assuming you've you know, have some level of self-awareness and yeah, uh, gone through that process and stuff like that. But so basically you do OnlyFans and I'm an ex-felon. You're technically a felon. Yeah, I guess not an ex-felon. I'm technically a current felon. Yeah, I think you're always a felon. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so let's get into questions. Because we, well, we we really only got one decent batch from little RR, which she's just like the sweetest. <laughs> she's in she's the such a doll. Yeah, she's in the OnlyFans group, and so she had a, a handful of questions here, and so we'll hit those real quick. And so, the first question was: Was Sierra able to visit you in prison? Visit me in prison? I was, but only for a very short amount of time. Um, so. He went away um, in early October of 2019, and the pandemic started in January of 2020. So basically, I got to visit him, I think, two weeks after he went in, I was able to have my first visit. Was it two weeks? I think it was. Oh, yeah, it was because it was like right around our anniversary. So yeah, two weeks after you went in, I had my first visit and then I was able to visit. They give you a certain amount of visits per inmate. Each inmate gets a certain amount of visits per month that they can have. Which is funny because I remember, I remember the first time you showed up to visit because in, in prison, there's like this little line of windows on the, on the thing. Well, also, you were in a camp. Yeah, I was in a camp. Um, which again, you can see the whole story. If you click the link down in the comment section below, I'll have the whole story right there. You can watch it. But, um, yeah, so I was in a camp and in the camp, you can look out the window and there's the parking lot out there where you can see the visitors pull up and visitors are relatively rare out there. So every time a visitor pulls up, all the inmates go, <laughs> you just see them lined up at the window and I see you pull up and you're walking and you're good looking. So I just, so there's this whole <laughs> lineup of all these prisoners with their face against the glass looking <laughs> at you walking Which is up to funny the visitor because, center. And well, cause everyone wants to know whose girlfriend is that? Whose wife is that? Blah, blah, whatever. But there's like a dress code as visitors. You have, there's so many rules you have to follow. Like your pants can't be too tight. You can't wear uh, like spaghetti strap tank tops, even under a shirt, you cannot wear them. You can't show like 
No cleave. It has to be like a high neck shirt. I don't even remember all the rules, but there were a couple times you can't wear a hood. Yeah, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Well, for you, there's so all that I kind of stuff. I wasn't looking good. And then for the prisoners, obviously, it's worse. Like, like you have to get naked a lot in prison, especially during the sandwich crew, which that's a whole different <laughs> story. <laughs> but maybe that's a story for a different podcast. Um, but, yeah, so the whole visiting thing. And then so when did that end? Yeah, pretty much as soon as the pandemic started, they pulled the plug on that. They're like, no one's coming. And I was devastated. But the good thing about that is they stopped charging for phone calls. Yes. So we had free phone calls for 75% of your sentence. Which, by the way, if you're in prison, they will rob you blind on phone calls normally. But the pandemic kind of saved us from that. Yeah. We didn't have a phone bill for that whole time, pretty much. I couldn't see you. So there was a total of 15 months. I got to see you for the first three You were in for 18. And then we didn't see each other with our eyeballs for 15 months. So that was hard and interesting. 15 months. Yeah, that's a long time. But um, I think it was good for us. Yeah, we we the biggest thing that we gained from that were our communication skills. Yeah, because I'm a terrible communicator. Yes. Most Naturally. of the time. Um, this podcast, my YouTube videos, is like a huge effort for me because I'm an introvert. Yeah, this is the most he talks to me. Yeah, I don't... It's <laughs> very... Like, introverts will understand, but it's like like it's exhausting for me to talk and stuff. <laughs> so it's not like... Like, you get energy from it. I get completely drained from it. Yeah. So anyway, if you... So we're probably going to leave out a ton of questions on this podcast. So if you do have questions, I'll have another link in the description where you can click that link. You can send phone calls. You can submit questions. So definitely send us some questions and we will potentially bring that up on the next podcast. So the next question from little RR is, did you make any friends in there? Yeah. So prison is super like it's really... Um, it's really sort of like going back in time. Like it's super racially segregated. There's all these different like little groups. There's all these just ridiculous po- uh, politics and rules that just don't make any sort of sense at all. And, but through that, you kind of meet little groups and different people that you, um, that you get along with and you develop these little crews and, and things. And then, you know, your, your crew is kind of like your little ride or die group of people. And, um, yeah, I had a, I had a really cool little group of dudes that we hung out every single day. And I loved hearing about them, the little characters. (laughs) Well, it made me feel good to know that you, you know, there were some good people in there, like genuinely, good people yeah like some of the best some of the best dudes i've ever met in my entire life were there yeah like just genuinely good dudes so the next question is what is life like in prison well first of all what what was it like for you when i was there um busy well yeah you were just working every day 
Yeah, it was new for me because all of a sudden the business that we had was gone and I, all the financial responsibility for all of us was on my shoulders. And so we had a car payment. It's not like we had, we didn't have the lowest bills, but we didn't have the highest either. But we had like, I had a $400 car payment or something at the time, plus just normal living expenses. I had a teenage son and myself. I eat a lot. He eats a lot. And then we had to, you know, send you commissary. So um, that new pressure just created something in me that I wish that I could have all the time. Honestly, just like this magic fire under my ass that's just like your family needs you. It's it's something different than like, you know, when you're working in a partnership all the time. And well, yeah, your thing has always been like if it's just for you, you struggle to be motivated. But if it's for someone else, you'll be like hyper motivated. Yeah, so that became very easy for me to just be like a fucking superwoman. And I was. It was very empowering for me. I'm getting teary just thinking about it because it was so emotionally hard, but it was so empowering. Like, uh, I just worked and there wasn't like a single complaint ever. Like it wasn't even like, this is so hard or anything. It was just like... Yeah, you don't have time to complain. You just get it done. Yeah. So... That's what it was like. And then I would get to talk to you like most days in the evening for our 10 minutes or whatever it was. How long were the phone calls? 15, 10? Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't even, I think it was, was it 10? I don't remember. I don't remember. It was either 10 or 15. But yeah, you basically, once the time runs out, the phone just is like, yeah, clicks off. That, that happened sucks. a few times, and you can't call back either. No. <laughs> That's sad. So, but we were able to email each other too. Yeah. So, that w- I would say the email was where we picked up that strong communication from because that was how we spoke to each other, really. Our phone calls were so short that it was, you couldn't really say much. Um, but we, that was, what I looked forward to every day. Yeah. So for me, it was, it was, there's a certain percentage of people that have a really hard, not so great time in there. Uh, for me, it was pretty like, okay, because prison is definitely a community based game. Like you, you have to, be in a crew. You don't necessarily have to be in a crew, but the loners are going to have a little bit of a harder time with things. Um, I think for me, like I just looked at it like everything in life is like it moving from one chessboard to another or, a, you know, from checkers to chess to shoots and ladders, whatever the game may be. So I was like, all right, I'm moving from this chessboard to this chessboard. Let me learn what the rules are and let me kind of get good at this game. Not that I worried about you like that, but you're just such a nice guy, you know, that I was afraid 
that people would be like mean to you or take advantage of you. Well, that's part of the game too. Like I worked out, I got fucking huge. Well, people don't know, like you're a big person even now. Like you're six foot three, like you're really tall and you went in skinny. Before I went in, yeah, I was 170 pounds at the time. I had I had a screenshot of my thing before I went in, but yeah, I was 100. I think it was like 165 or 70 pounds, and then at my highest in there, I was about 220. But I was just like, like huge looking. Like it was like I've never been that. Yeah, big so before. I've never seen you like that ever. Because yeah. I didn't see you. And then the first time I saw you after was after you were in quarantine for however long, two months or something. And um, so you were confined to your cell. You weren't having your normal workouts anymore. Uh, and I don't know, was your food different in there in quarantine? Yeah, you get like a bowl of cereal, some oranges, Eight orange. And then you were able to bring your like peanut butter with you. But once yeah, you so, ran out. So like I was, was saving up this like I was saving up for months for when I eventually got sent in. Because basically at that time, the way it worked is once you get like two, three months away from release uh, or from going to halfway house, they send you into quarantine and then you sit in quarantine for a month, two months, three months, whatever. Kind of just depends. Um, so I was like, all right, let me just stock up on tuna and peanut butter and then when I go into quarantine I can just you know do push-ups all day and eat peanut butter <laughs> and whatever so I did that but like just eating peanut butter all day every day I just I got more like pudgy than like by the time I got out I was like I don't look that good anymore no you look fucking delish still to Compa me compared to before sure yeah, but so like when i was at my when when i was in there and i was like really going hard because that's like all you do in there yeah. like you have a few options in prison you read you work out or you work uh your job which i was a welder most of the time in there but um yeah you there's like there's like a few activities that you have work work out or read so you're going to spend a lot of time like working out well, so when you were released from quarantine, you had to go to halfway house after. But the way that that worked was the prison you were at was like in the middle of the desert. And then you had to be driven into the city to then be put on a bus to go to halfway house. So you were transported to the train station and I met you there at the train station and got just, how long did we see each other? For like six minutes, maybe? Yeah, probably like probably 10 minutes. Something. Yeah, but you had grown your hair out, like this like Tarzan. I was all covered up, but you, I think, just had like a t-shirt on. I think you can see you were, you know. Had a big beard and stuff like that because you had been in quarantine, but you looked really good. And your hair has never been as like fluffy and soft as it was that day. To this day, he swears that the products in prison were. So in prison, you know, like I said, it's it's very 
much like going back in time. It's extremely racially segregated. Everybody's got an extremely fragile ego, pride. You look at somebody the wrong way, it starts a big thing. So there's always like silly little things like that. It's like going back to high school, but with adults. But for me, like I was friends with, and this was true for like high school as well. Like I was friends with the popular kids. I was friends with the nerds. I was friends with the emo kids. I was friends with, with the Pokemon kids. Like, it, like I was friends <laughs> with everybody. And it was the same way in prison. Like I was friends with all the different crews, all the different, you know, gangs and all the different people. Like I somehow managed to like be friends with everybody. And so as my hair was kind of like growing out, it was just like, it always takes on this like you know, Granny Bob Ross Afro. He's not kidding. He's <laughs> it not always, kidding. Which anybody who's watched my recent video on my other channel with my with my little dragon animation knows that my hair just even the AI when I when I told the AI to to you know turn my hair into a Jason Momoa dragon slayer, it turned me into Bob Ross instead. We call it the Granny Puff. So I always have this Granny <laughs> Puff when I grow my hair out. And in prison, it was no different. I had just let my hair grow out, and I started getting this granny puff. And then um, a lot of the guys from the black crew, they came over, and they started helping me understand how to get my hair under control. And so through that, I became friends with a lot of these guys, and they gave me that they so they would buy all of these different products from commissary. And then they were like mad scientists. They would mix a little bit of this one with a little bit of this one, a little bit of this one and this one. And then they'd give me this secret special formula and I'd put that in my hair and it was just like the most beautiful, luscious, like. <laughs> it really was. And so you, and so that was the last little bit of that that I had when you met me at the bus station. And then ever since then, I've never been able to replicate that. Yeah, we've tried so many different products, never. Never seen it like that. So if anybody knows the formula, <laughs> shoot us a DM. Let me know. Might grow my hair out again. Okay, so the next question is, was it nice in a weird way to take a break from the outside world? Um, it was a much extremely more simple existence. You wake up, you get your whatever your job is, for me, I was a welder, so I'd go to the welding shop and I would build stuff and I'd do stuff like that. Other people, too, though, like just taking into account that everyone's situation is different. If someone had like less support on the outside or, you know, a family who maybe was having trouble with their finances or just, you know, more instability on the outside. That would be extremely stressful. Yeah, which I will say that did happen a lot. Like, I was friends with a lot of different guys that, like, all hell was breaking loose on the outside, and they were just constantly stressed out because, like, there's stuff happening. You want to be there. You want to take care of uh, people. Like, stuff's there's, like, all these things that you need to be there to help, but you can't, and you're just, like, feel so powerless. Knock on like, wood for there. us. Luckily, we didn't have any, like, enormous life events. Like, everyone stayed healthy. I had that surgery, and it went really smoothly, and the recovery and everything was fine. Like, we didn't 
have any issues with parents or, you know, grandparents or anything at the time. It was like, luckily, just kind of quiet outside of our world. And that was helpful, I guess. I mean, COVID was happening. Like, fuck, that was stressful. COVID was weird from the inside of prison because, like, now looking back, it's just kind of like, oh, COVID, whatever. But at the time, like, everybody thought the world was ending and it was, like, this big thing. And then, like, from inside of prison, you only see it from the news. So all you're seeing is, like, the most uh, negative, like, the mo- like you know how the news is. Yeah. Like, it just makes everything a thousand X more dramatic, um, which not that it wasn't dramatic. There's a ton of people like dying and all kinds of stuff happening. But I you, was genuinely you, scared for yeah, a while. Only, like, especially from in there, you only see it on TV. Yeah. So it's like watching from a different planet, this other planet that's like the whole world is ending and everybody's dying. And then as COVID starts infecting the prison system, like everybody's sort of in this, you know, general population, And then when people get sick with COVID, they just throw them in the hole and a lot of people died in there. And so there's just like all that kind of stuff happening. Well, and I was in like a Facebook group for like wives of inmates and I found it to be a helpful resource sometimes just for information, like when they were locking down prisons and stuff like that um, for COVID those girls were on top of their shit. Like if anything changed, you could find it in there. But also there was a lot of like fear mongering in there too, because like something would be happening at their husband's facility, but that doesn't mean that it's happening everywhere. But that shit spreads like wildfire, like the stress and the fear, you know, this might be coming to wherever check your husband's or whatever. And it's like, nothing's happening but so you had to I had to kind of learn how to play the game and that you know understand that there was a lot of like uh subjective information flying through there yeah so it was there was uh, a lot of like I was at a smaller facility but I had friends from like all over the places like the worst prisons in New York San Quentin like all these different like you know hardcore prisons like I had a lot of friends from those places but yeah they they had stories of like what happens when somebody caught COVID in some of those facilities so so at the time like that's the only information that we're getting well and then remember too there was that time you were in prison at like the most unique time to be in prison because COVID happened and there were all these exceptions like with the phone calls And then they were fucking letting people out for a minute, too. And I remember watching those stories. Like, I was obsessed with the news around, like, the Justice Department at the time because they were going to be letting people out. And there were, like, these certain criteria you had to meet. And so, you know, we were trying to see if that was something that... Because I saw people getting released, like, in that group. People, they were like, my husband came home or whatever. And I was like seeing fucking six, nine or like all these stupid celebrities that were in prison that are getting out. And I'm like, oh my God, is this possible? You know, and then I started like getting my hopes up and 
you didn't come home early, but it was, yeah, that it was, was wild. All right, so the next question here is, was it hard to reintegrate after being released? And um, how would you say the reintegration went? Reintegrating back into like our home and our relationship and stuff. We had our little um, moments where it was just like, he doesn't remember the, you know, you just kind of were set in your ways. And then it was back to like having your life with me. And it was just kind of like, it took you a minute. Yeah, I'd say you, you definitely do develop a lot of prison habits yeah. <laughs> when you're in prison. Um, but yeah, I'd say for like, uh, for people that are there for say five plus years, um, they call it being institutionalized, which is where you slowly, like, and I felt it happening to me and you, there's really nothing you can do about it. Like I would at all. So one of the reasons that I woke up every single day, so my prison routine was I'd wake up at three or four in the morning. This was before anybody would get up. I would read my books because the thing is like in the real world, you have a ton of, stimulation you have a ton of a ton of stimulants create creative stimulants that come from you know watching youtube videos or watching shows or watching this or watching that or watching other people doing you know being successful and so you have all of this like input that comes into your brain it inspires you you get ideas you 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 know pull um you know all kinds of of influence from different people that are doing different stuff but in prison all of that stuff is completely cut off there's like no outside stimulation or input or anything at all. And slowly over time, the prison system like indoctrinates you with their uh, input. So for me, I made a really, really big point to, for myself personally, to wake up before anybody else in the whole place wakes up, read my books, read my stuff, and just feed my brain with like positive things that like help me see beyond this tiny little bubble of just negative, constant negativity and just bland like. Well, and that was part of what our communication practices were with each other too, was like kind of dreaming together. Yeah. And like painting pictures of like our future and our goals and like what we want out of life. And I felt like that was really motivating for me also. Um, but I... Was well, a lot of things, a lot of the things that we talked about are now what they are. Like someday we're going to like start this YouTube channel, we're going to start a podcast, we're going to be able to travel, we're going to do this, that, all this stuff. Which yeah, is those like, manifestations began there. So all that is... That's crazy to think about. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, so so a lot of the dudes in there were like eventually, even for me, like being how I am, 
Like, I feel like if I was in there for five plus years, eventually it would have, it would like, eventually it would have got to a point where it wore me down and just completely, like, I would no longer be waking up at four in the morning and I would just become what everybody is in there. So thankfully I was only in there for two years, which the two years I was in there was, I actually don't really have any complaints. Like I, it was a really weird, interesting experience. Um, but if I had to do longer than that, I think I eventually probably would have become institutionalized to where like you just completely become this empty shell not to say all people with these long sentences are like that. There's some really strong-minded people in there that yeah. had really long sentences that were, I don't know if thriving is the word, but thriving as much as they could, you know, keeping a great physique and still, like, doing art and stuff like that, you know, at the tail end of long sentences. In there, it's the same as the real world in the sense that there's people that sit around and watch TV all day, and then there's people that get up early, work out, work on their goals. The problem is you just don't have any outside stimulation or creativity to where you can really understand, like, like if you're in there for too long, any idea or thing that you think about in there can't really translate to the real world. Like I was in there for a short enough time to where I could think of ideas and have creativity and, and have all these different like little business projects and they would actually translate into the real world. But a lot of them are in there before MySpace existed, before Facebook existed, before social media, before like the way iPhones. the internet is in its current state. Yeah, iPhones, like AI, all this stuff. Like there's no way those people would be able to understand how to, you know, they have all these amazing ideas in prison, but they're ideas that would work in 1995. They're not going to work today. Yeah. And so in that sense, it would be very hard to reintegrate into today's world. Yeah. So that's it for this one. Definitely go down into the description and click the link, drop your questions, leave us some feedback, and we will potentially bring that up, answer some questions on the next podcast. Until then, see you next time.